Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. GDIY Profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Jordan Linger. Jordan, how we doing? Good, yourself, sir. Man, living the dream as always, as you know. I, I can't complain at all by what I do over here. But uh, yeah, man, why don't you go ahead and start off with what we always start off with. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. So I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, pretty much born and bred North Carolina. And I have two English setters. One is a almost three-year-old male named Cal, and then a almost two-year-old male named Remy. Mm. So you got your first one and you couldn't wait longer than a year before you got the second one. So yeah, the guy that I got Cal from, they're actually half brothers. Uh, he was in a, he was in a little bit of a sticky situation where a storm, big storm came through in North Carolina and he hunts a lot of wild quail down there. He's got access to private and stuff like that. Big thunderstorm, rainstorm came through and basically knocked out a bunch of his kennels. Me and him have a really, really good relationship. He texted me and he was like, hey, I have this dog. It's the same dad as uh, as your dog, different female. Do you know anybody that would be interested? And I talked about it with the wife and ended up going down that weekend and picking up Remy. So. Nice. Did you charge him a rehoming fee or something? Be like, hey, I'm doing you a favor. At least give me a discount on the dog. Or did he charge you full price on that? He took care of me. He definitely, <laughs> he definitely took care of me a little bit. It, it was, it, like I said, it was in a situation and we were able to make it work. And he's definitely a totally different dog than Cal is. I'll say that. It could be the age, but definitely a very different dog. Yeah. Just goes to show, man, keeping that good relationship with your breeder sometimes pays off to where you're one of the first ones he calls and and next thing you know you get to land a nice second dog for you you know bolster that dog power if you will i was just gonna ask and you just kind of went into it how similar and how different are they because half brothers and half sisters sometimes it's like you can get really similar dogs and then some of them you just look at and it's like there's nothing in common between the both of you so Cal is definitely in, like I said, this could be the age. Cal is definitely a little bit more 
calmer. He, and in the way he hunts, he's a lot more methodical, if that makes sense. He will go out about 150, 100 yards away from me. And if that wind is coming from back of me, he just knows naturally to come back. And I didn't even learn, I didn't even teach him like how to cast left and right, but he just kind of picked it up on, on his own and I'll just point one direction and he'll go off into a cut that way or a cut the other way. Listens very, very well. Remy does listen, but my friends have uh, dubbed him the fur missile. <laughs> All right. So as soon as I let that gate open out of his kennel, I mean, it's just, it, it's a bat out of hell. And he's, Flames he's coming gone. out of his butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 it's almost like he came from like, like those big running, like field trial, like field trial lines, which that the breeder used to do that quite a bit. Gotcha. So half siblings and one is a little bit more working and hunting with you and the other is more typical, you know, just burning the jet fuel getting out there and hopefully come across the birds and he doesn't and hold stop him. he doesn't stop yeah, it, it, and he doesn't stop like i could literally hunt him all day in 70 degree weather and he'll just keep on going and going i have to stop him yeah like so, i have to say so. so he just keeps on going even to his detriment yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and i have learned especially if i'm running two dogs at the same time is that i'm carrying four water bottles on my final rise vest Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, I know I know it well, man. Well, let's back up. I want to hear why the English setter. What were you aiming to get into? Was this your first bird dog overall? And, and what made you go the English setter route? So I always had a fascination with working dogs in general. Um, my family, I do not come from a hunting family at all. I came from more of a fishing family fly fishing and, and light tackle and, and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of my family hails from um, Maryland and uh, West Virginia. So spent a lot of my summers fishing up in Maryland, fishing the streams in North Carolina. And my dad, he actually used to have a job. We joke around quite a bit. He used to be a drug runner, quote unquote, but he was running prescription drugs. Like he was delivering prescription drugs to hospitals in Virginia and stuff like that. And we would stop by any lake, river, or whatever like that. But uh, my first introduction were actually to English setters and bird dogs were actually paintings. Visiting my grandma and grandpa Linger up in Maryland, smaller town back then called Frederick, Maryland. They had two paintings of English setters. One was two English setters pointing at quail, and then one was just a setter basically locked up on point, you know, that classic look. I was just fascinated by those paintings, and 25 years later, they actually made it back to me. We recently found them in my parents' uh, barn, cleaning out their barn because they're getting ready to sell their house. And so they actually have gone up into my almost one-year-old son's Nolan room now. Nice. Hopefully, then, hopefully that pays it forward to him. I love stories like this. That's a, that's a really neat story. Just the fact that a couple paintings on the wall and your grandparents can leave such a lasting impact or an impression on upon you that fast forward years later, you want to get back into it. And I guess, you know, as you're kind of going to continue the story, your mind automatically resorted back to those paintings. And that had such an impact on choosing the dog. I'm anticipating that you're going to say here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, That's so cool. 
And then my dad took a job with a um, small liberal arts college in Ohio. So we moved from outside of Charlotte, North Carolina to small little town, Ohio, one stoplight. When the students weren't in town, it was like literally population 500. <laughs> um, All right. My first introduction to actual working dogs, because I didn't start hunting, just in general hunting, until I was a sophomore in high school when we moved up there. My best friend, Trevor, he didn't come from a hunting family at all, but I would go over to his house and like spend the night and hang out and stuff like that. And he lived right across the road from a place called the Knox County Coon Hunters Club. And so on Friday and Saturday nights, they would get together and you would just hear these dogs bay and bay and bay. And then finally, one day, I just walked over there one day because I saw some guy working his dog in the field and started asking questions. And that just kind of steamrolled it. And then fast forward, I'm about to be 38. And it wasn't until I was, you know, 35, 36, that I actually got my first working dog. And then that's the English setter. So you decide that you want to get a working dog. Your mind goes back to the paintings on the wall. Mm -hmm. I got I got to ask, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you kind of know that my start kind of was rooted in the coon hounds and where the red fern grows and having to read that growing yep. up. And so it kind of, it's not paintings on a wall, but you know, some similarities there, obviously. What did the guy say when you just decided to walk across the street and ask him about his coon hound? You know, was it a, a welcoming invite? Did you get to go hunting with him or, or did you Oh, just... absolutely. I was more asking him about the training aspects. And it, I, I think in some aspects with some of those working and sporting dogs is that they can go hand in hand, you know, like introductions and introduction to gunfire and, you know, basic exposure and stuff like that. He was super nice. His name was Buck. So, Sounds like a coon hunter's name. <laughs> yeah, coon hunter's name, Carhartt overalls, yeah. flannel, wearing a stormy Cromer hat. I mean, just just the just the classic Southern Ohio hunter. You're right. I mean, if you would have asked me to like draw a picture of a coon hunter up in Ohio that you just go randomly ask, you know, I definitely the Carhartt overalls and stuff like that. I tell everybody, man, the houndsman. They're a different breed. I love them. I love checking in with them and getting to go hunt with them. And a lot of them can appear to be standoffish. Like a lot of them can, mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody that maybe is a little bit more reluctant to just go up and strike up a conversation with somebody. They may, may be like held withdrawn into themselves a little bit because their appearance, you know, they're a little bit harder of a type of person, if you will, on yeah. average on houndsmen. But Generally speaking, if you just go talk to a couple of them, especially with what they're interested in with the coon hounds, sometimes most of them, you got you get them talking about what they love to do and chasing coons with hounds. They won't shut up. And they're always inviting us like, hey, come on for a walk. And I love coon hounds. And I wish that just how they approach hunting and how they live with their dogs, I wish some of the, that aspect could bleed over into the bird dog world because, man, they do it for the love of just running dogs. Most of the time, they're not they're not even shooting the game, whether it's coons, cats, bears, whatever. It's like they just they, like seeing them work. Yeah, they don't sleep for six months in a row, and they just want to go see their dogs work. They go to work all day, then they go run dogs all night, and then they go back to work Absolutely. the next day, and they never most of them that I've been with don't even carry a gun with them anymore. Like, it's just, you want to talk about people that truly do it just for the love of the game. Houndsmen are where it's at. Yeah. And, uh, I think a lot of people can learn a lot from those guys. 
and it was funny because uh, he was asking me he he noticed my my accent at the time my accent is kind of half and half like midwest <laughs> midwest north carolina but he had ties in north carolina and so he actually ran plot hounds which is the state dog of north carolina so that kind of hit a little home for me he's no longer around unfortunately but I, but i'll always remember that guy so he stuck around and acted, it sounded like maybe some sort of, you know, beginner mentor for you, if you will, or at least some kind of some kind of resource to help get you into it and dip your toes into it, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, started reading a little bit here and there. And uh, uh, still to this day, you know, I'm I'm always looking up like just like I said, like sporting dogs and, and hunting dogs in general. It's like uh, obviously North Carolina, we've got a we've got a big uh um, uh, like deer, deer dogs and bear dogs and stuff like that around here. And that's, uh, that's kind of a Southern tradition out in Eastern North Carolina. Oh, absolutely. North Carolina has one of the richest dog cultures in the Southeast. If you mm-hmm. ask me, you know, there's always yeah. some kind of event or, or something to go do with dogs. It's, it's pretty, uh, impressive when you really start seeing and and connecting with a whole bunch of different people i mean if if dogs is your lifestyle north carolina is is one of the better states to get involved in i mean that they have everything from you know a healthy schutzen uh program and and culture to obviously bird dogs some hounds as we discuss Mm -hmm. there's there's just i mean there's a bunch of dock diving uh, and, and just alternative games, if you will, th- offered up in North Carolina. So retrievers are huge around yep, here. Yep. And, then I, and then, and I also think that South Carolina uh, gets a little bit overlooked for a rich culture of dogs. Yeah. I mean, they, their state dog is Boykin, the, the swamp poodles as, as some of my friends like to call them. Well, and you know, I coming down here in the southeast, you know, it's it depends on where you go and and obviously the timing of the year if you're around holidays or whatever, but just hunting public land, you you kind of run into different people doing what it is that they love to do, but South Carolina, you know, I've I've hunted there a few times cuz my wife is from there and so we'll go there for holidays and I'll kind of sneak out for for a quick quill or woodcock walk or something like that and uh I, I tell everybody, it seems like every time I go out in South Carolina, I'm running into other dog people, which is not the norm in other states, not Tennessee, not even North Carolina. But every time I go out, I'm running into other quail hunters. I'm running into, they have a really healthy rabbit dog uh, culture. And so you just kind of go to public land and everybody's welcoming. I've never had a bad experience with anybody on the grounds. And and yeah. I think I was there for Thanksgiving a few years ago and I got invited into like this big family gathering. Obviously it's the holidays. They just had, there's like 15 or 20 of them and all just came around running rabbit hounds and beagles and and I'm just sitting there like, oh yeah, come join me. And it's like, they don't know me from Adam. And it was, it was just cool. Right. It's, 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 I love, I love hunting in the Southeast when it comes into stuff like that, but let's get back into you, man. I want to, I want to find out, you just said that, you know, that, that Buck left a lasting impression from you in Ohio with the Coonhounds. And then fast forward, you said almost 38, you, you got your first dog around 35. What took you so long? And, and again, why the English setter besides the painting, you know, walk me through your, your thought process. What are you targeting? What's your goal for the dog? So I mainly hunt uh woodcock and grouse. I now hold, um, uh, hunting licenses in four States 
and I added a new one main this this year. Um, but uh, I think there's there's another guy that I listen to, um, uh, Jeremy Moore, Dog Bone Hunter. I think he's he said it best, uh, and I don't know if it was on your podcast or another one, but they're they're just a warm dog. And that really, that, that really stuck with me. And even though after I, I got my setters, I was like, that makes complete sense. Um, I've got young kids. Um, I've actually got, uh, I've got a kid who's a, who's a freshman in high school up in Ohio. Um, and then I have a six-year-old daughter and my, uh, uh, my almost one-year-old son. Um, and uh, they're great with the kids. Uh, they have, kind of that that off switch but they uh they see me gathering up the collars and stuff like that and they like the night before and i've I've almost got to hide them from them because they're they're ready to roll and they know they, they know what's up yeah um just the way that they look their mannerisms their expressions uh to whether it's game or family or friends uh that was uh that's what that's what i was generally looking for they don't have a mean bone in their body <laughs> right it, the, the word warm that is i haven't heard jeremy uh describe it as that way but that now that you put it that way i can i can see that and you know i've talked about it obviously i have two my two older dogs are german dogs in the short hair and muncie and then uh, i got this setter who i've had for you know a little over a year now and I've been trying to come up with a way of describing what you just said in a more succinct manner. I, I kept tr trying to, you know, it just seems like she's more just go with the flow, just more. I'm here for a good time. Like no matter what situation, like that there's no rush to do anything, but it's like, she also doesn't not do it. Right. Like if you're talking obedience, right. like you'll ask her to do something and it's just like, it almost comes across as lackadaisical. Like it's just, all right, I'll do it. And it's not like she's trying to blow you off, but it's just not snappy like other dogs. And yeah, just hanging around the house. It's just like when she goes to sleep, she's out. Like she is, she has mm -hmm. done that. Yeah. That off switch is completely different than in my other dogs. It's like the other dogs will get fired up and start barking at the mailman or whoever. And she'll just kind of crack her eye open and look at them like, I guess I'll be a dog and bark too, but I don't really want to. It's just, yeah, I get a hundred percent what you're saying about the setters. That's, that's funny. Can you, uh, can you tell when your setters mad at you? Oh yeah, man. She, it, that it's side eye. Yeah. She, <laughs> she gets that side eye and kind of looks down a little bit, almost, almost like a child, if you will, you know, the, the, the child of like, I, I know I'm in trouble, but like I'm I'm mad at you just as much as you're mad at me. Look, almost, yep. yeah, I know a hundred percent what you're talking about. Remy will steal uh, Cal's blanket out of his kennel. I'm just like, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? Stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, man, it's there's one toy in my daughter's room. It's just this little blue stuffed bear that used to talk. It doesn't talk anymore, but. It's like she will go in that room and she doesn't mess anything up. She's got such a soft mouth, but out of everything in that room, she will grab that one bear and then just bring it out to me. And then she'll just kind of parade it around me and do this almost like come and get it growl grumble thing at me. And she just side eye me like, I dare you to take it. And then you just reach your hand out and say, give. And she, and she just gives it right to you. And it's like, well, you 
you didn't really fight that much. Like it's just no. uh, they were just funny dogs, man. It's just especially when you start comparing them to your more typical German dogs, your short hairs and and what have you. But but yeah, they're just that. I like that word warm. I'm I'm gonna have to text Jeremy and and find out where he kind of talked about that. So you got you decide to go with the setter. You know that's just kind of what comes into mind. Obviously, you know left that impression at a very young age. You decide that you know you want to get into grouse and woodcock hunting and and you get the setter just walk me through what it was like finally getting your first dog after years of knowing people or admiring from afar that's a far cry from having the dog in your house that you're actually training and developing so walk me through getting your mindset wrapped around that and and starting to piece together how you even want to train and work these dogs I'd have to go back to uh, some of my mentors, and I've, I've I got a handful of them. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Grayson is in my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Faust and Casey's in my neck of the woods. One of my that's, buddies. That's uh, Stephen Faust and Casey Trantham, I guess. Yes. Okay. Yes. And and Casey's Casey's a setter guy, and then uh, another buddy of mine who's out in Ashboro uh, named JD Goodwin. He. Uh, he breeds and trains uh, pointers and and uh, cocker spaniels. All right, but he's a uh, he's a wild bird guide, and he also does um, uh, guiding on preserves. JD, when I first took him to him, and we were doing a little bird introduction with like pigeons and and some of his quail, he, you know, I'm I'm a little hard on myself sometimes, and he just looked at me one day and he was like, "Hey, Jordan." Just let the dog work and shut the hell up. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, I got you. That that stuck with me. And he legitimately said was just like, you know, he he's gonna figure it out. And this was uh, this was with Cal. And he did end up figuring it out. And you know, it it probably took a little bit longer than, you know, what some pro trainers would like. He just kept on telling me, he's like, just hunt the dog. Just hunt the dog. Just hunt the dog. Make sure he has a good recall. Just hunt the dog, and you'll be all right. So, and that's that's what I'm in it for. And uh, I dove into a lot of reading when I committed to getting cow months beforehand, and uh, got trapped into the to the Mo uh, to the Mo Lindley book, um, Joan Bailey books. Uh, fall of Woodcock, building a grouse dog, all this stuff, and they they all kind of had the same, uh, I guess, uh, training style per se. Because setters, in my opinion, they are um, they're a little bit softer, which is which is what I like. Um, not terribly too much correction is needed, but I've had a lot of fun with it, and I've gone down the rabbit hole way too many times uh did my first trip to to maine this year somewhat worked out in our favor but uh i wish it could have been better but but it was still a lot of fun tell me about that so was this your first like long road trip and and hunting trip with your dogs going up to maine yes all right so so let's go down let's tell that story talk to me about you know the planning tell me about the execution and tell me about the results so we we started planning about six months before we left and uh it worked with my my schedule and my two friends schedule my other buddy he has a gsp 
Uh, he lives in Greensboro. And then our mutual friend, Joe, he is from Maine, used to live in North Carolina, moved back home for a job. Uh, but he actually has family property, uh, a family cabin about 40 minutes south of Jackman. So we we decided, like, you know what, we're going to go up there and we're going to hunt for five days, a uh, couple days travel time. Traveling that many miles with three bird dogs is uh, is is quite a lot, and that was an experience. I know it well. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, you do. It, you you've done it a lot recently, and you know, just planning like along the ways, like it was like places to like let them run, like dog parks and and stuff like that, and making sure everything's good. You know how how many shells we're gonna need, how much dog food we're gonna need, which that was something that surprised me. And I don't know if it was just the nervousness about the trip or whatever like that, but the dogs didn't like take in a lot of calories until they actually started hunting. So that that kind of threw me for a loop and and made me a little bit worried, but it all but it all worked out. Uh, so were you, were you trying to like carbo load essentially at the start? Were you just trying to like load up the get tank before you got up there? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. But I, I don't know if it was just, if it was the drive and the moving of the truck or, yeah. or whatever, but, um, it, they, it, it, it made it, me a little bit worried. Well, with your first trip, that's, that's a, that's a good point to hit on because a lot of people, you know, it, it takes people by surprise at some of the quirkiness, if you will of dogs on how they travel, you know, they're just travel anxiety. Some dogs do better at it than others. And there's really no way to get a dog used to it other than going to do it. And sometimes, you know, that, that shows itself in sometimes they don't eat. Sometimes they don't drink water. Sometimes they, you know, a lot of dogs I've seen to where like, they don't even like want to go explore. You let them out and you find a good place to air them out. Like they don't even want to go to the bathroom, but that's just part of it. You know, it's just like, just don't get worried about it. Just go once they start burning the energy in the woods, as you just yeah, mentioned, eat. they're going to eat. Well, you know, trust me, the mm. dogs, like when they get hungry, they're, they're going to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And I packed some, uh, some like homemade bone broth for them, electrolytes and stuff like that. And, uh, big old half gallon, like squirt bottle of, uh, of fish oil just to, just for a little bit. And, and, and that kind of, that kind of tempted them more to, to eat a little yeah. bit. Yeah. A lot of people uh, use wet food, you know, stuff like that, stuff around home. I got one buddy, uh, he just takes a bunch of eggs with him and he'll just crack a fresh oh, egg in the dog food. And, uh, it's amazing how just a quick fresh egg and, and he leaves the shell in and all in there, you know, it's just calcium essentially for the dogs. And so, yeah, I mean, just one little egg, you just drop it in there. You know, some dogs eat better if you float it, some dogs eat better if you leave it dry. That's that, that kind of comes down to just knowing your individual dog. And, uh, yeah. but you just, you have to go hit the road before you kind of learn those quirks and, and the little tricks based on each dog because I got three dogs and one, my Munstie is completely different than the other two on how we travel. And, uh, and, and, but you know, you just got to go do it and, and you get used to it. Mm -hmm. And they, they went to the vet beforehand. I've got a really, really cool vet. He's, he's awesome with bird dogs. I recommend all my friends to him. And, um, they, he was just like, they're healthy as a horse. You're, you're ready to rock and roll. It's like, have fun, have fun. Let me know. Let me know how it goes. Nice. Which vet so, is that in, in Winston-Salem? Cause everybody, I'm, I'm constantly getting asked if I know decent vets and de decent, you know, in certain areas, uh, based on if they actually 
do hunting dogs well or not because finding a local vet or a good vet that is hunting dog friendly or knows what they're talking about is kind of a tricky concept nowadays. Yeah. So it's Village Way, Village Way Veterinary Clinic, and they're just on the outskirts of uh, Winston-Salem in advance. There you go. Village Way. So, all right. So anybody looking for a vet down in Winston-Salem, Village Way, uh, <laughs> let's get back to the story on getting up to Maine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, uh, we got up there and, uh, uh, the very first day it was, it was a little bit warmer than what we would like. And, uh, just because I didn't know the terrain or anything like that, we did have three bird dogs. I made the executive decisions like, Hey guys, let's just run each dog solo. And then we can get, we, we can go back and switch it out. We let cow on the ground first, um, that Monday morning. I was carrying my gun, but I never took it off, took it off, uh, off my shoulder just because I wanted to focus on him. We had a couple other shooters, you know, everything's good. And this, this is one thing that I'll, that Cal has a track record of, and he's only been on two grouse, uh, since I've had him. And those two grouse were in North Carolina, which that was in one season, which that's a, that, 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 that's a real good season in North Carolina. And, uh, he bumped the first bird and, uh, the other two guys shot. And then he just, the light bulb quit clicked. And, um, and then it was just game on after that, uh, that morning in the three hours that I hunted him, we had five to six flushes, five or six flushes. And the rest of the time, I think he ended up bumping one more in the middle, but every other one, he picked up the scent, he locked up on point, and one was, a, I wish I would have had an open shot, but it wouldn't have been a safe shot for the other people involved. Um, but it was, it, it, this bird looked like a dang turkey. <laughs> it was, it was so big. Like they are just a different breed up there. Yeah. Um, big old drummer. Then, yeah. Big, big boy. And then, uh, then we let the other two dogs, uh, didn't find any with Remy. Uh, we found one with, uh, with moose. That's the GSP of my buddy Gabe. Uh, and then, uh, and then the rest of the week we, couldn't get on him not at all it it was uh it ended up getting about 80 degrees for the rest of the week mm, yeah and uh and there was a few times where uh me cal and remy like we were we were hiking in like up up the side of some some hills and stuff like that quite like quite deep in and they were there they were picking up the sand it's just they weren't there and so doing some research on that I definitely do research on food whenever you go to a new place because there was so much mushrooms and clover and stuff on the ground that uh that they that that's what they were eating they weren't coming out to the logging roads hardly at all and my buddy's neighbor across the street he got one and they opened up the crop and uh opened it up and all it was was clover and mushrooms they were still on the ground and they that's all that they were pretty much eating yeah 
And so did you guys try and get off the logging roads and get into the, you know, bus and cover trying to find that clover and mushrooms? I, it, it, I, I did find some spots that we definitely did check, check out. And I mean, we, we found all the sign in the world, but, uh, we, we just had a hard time getting on them. So next year, next year we're planning on doing it again, but we're probably going to wait till a little bit later in October, maybe early November. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to Maine a couple years ago, and it's uh, it's one of my favorite trips that I've done so far. I mean, it's just hard to mm-hmm. beat the the Northeast and Maine, you know, in the fall time. Uh, but I remember it was, I think it was the last week of October when I went. Uh, yeah, because we were driving home, and and it was on Halloween, and so uh, yeah, it when we went, it was almost like perfect timing to where you know it wasn't the leaves were off for the most part, you know, everything, everything we talk about what you kind of want, uh, condition wise, it was just kind of the, the perfect trip for us. Very little, Mm -hmm. very little rain and, and just what have you. And and we kind of got into birds a little bit every single day. It wasn't hot barrels the entire week, but it seemed, it seemed like we had a healthy amount of contacts. It's like just as Mm -hmm. every time you started feeling like, all right, it's been a little bit, it's been a little too long since the last contact or the last time a dog went on point or something. It's like, as soon as you kind of start getting that, that thought in the back of your mind, all of a sudden the Garmin would, would chime and you'd get another play on a bird. My issue wasn't finding the birds. My issue was shooting the birds on that trip. You know, some trips I go on and it's just like, it's lights out, man. I'm just, if it, if it goes up and I shoot, it's just falling down. I'm shooting with confidence. That was not one of those trips for me. (laughs) So it just, well, so, and also, and one thing that I learned very, very quickly is that uh, keep an eye on the the weather during the spring and summer, especially up there. We ran into a game warden and um, and he was like, we had a super, super wet spring and wet summer, which was which was fairly detrimental on the uh, on the chicks and stuff like that. Yeah, I wish I wish all of the biologists in the country would get together and find some unanimous uh, talking point to stick to on that. Because if you talk to one guy, he says that you need a wet spring because that brings mosquitoes and bugs. And that's what, you know, the chicks are going to eat. Then you talk to the next biologist the next week. And, and he says, the worst thing you can have is a wet spring because, you know, the birds will drown themselves or it's just, it's just too wet. They can't get around. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, the, there's a case to be made one way or the other on, do you want a dry spring or a wet spring? And then it, then it ends up just kind of cutting it in the middle and everybody agreeing to disagree and, and saying, you know, I oh, just, balance it out you know we need perfect conditions and my my thought process on that changes year to year so i'm i'm just as guilty as the next one but all i can say is this year especially it seems like from my observations the places that had the drier springs had better bird numbers it just just from what i've experienced from talking to people you know i've i've heard from people that such as yourself that went up to maine and and it wasn't the typical bird rodeo up in maine that that you kind of hear about every single year but you know i try and keep that you know kind of close to the vest because you just you just don't know what they're hunting right like you see like yeah based on what you're telling me you guys went up there but you just said that you know this is your first trip so you guys are just piecing it together and so you have to take everything with a grain of salt but the wet spring versus dry spring is something i always like to explore with biologists because it's just it's each one has a different opinion on it 
Yeah. And my, one of my very, very good friends, and he's also been a mentor to me. He has a, uh, he has a Brittany and he actually just got, got a Brittany pup, uh, Carson Benz. He's a big Navda guy. He's from, um, he's from North Carolina, just recently moved to Texas, but, uh, I was bouncing ideas off of him and, and everything like that, like before the trip and, um, and obviously listening to podcasts is like just trying to check every box that, that I get into. And we, we've hunted quite a bit for, for Woodcock. That was our, that that's kind of our main game down in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, North Carolina, man, it's it, Woodcock. And then my buddy Jim Burris, you know, does, does snipe out there and, and, uh, snipe is a lot of yeah. fun, man. I, I really enjoyed that, but, uh, yeah, man. So what's it, is that your goal for the rest of the year? Kind of focusing in on Woodcock or are you going to venture your way into Western North Carolina a bit more and, and keep trying to I'll probably, find some grouse? Yeah. Woodcock, hey, Woodcock was like my, my first like bird passion. Um, I, I do have a, I do have a Woodcock tattoo. <laughs> um, there it is. Yep. Uh, that, that, that I got from a, from an artist in, uh, in Asheville. Okay. Um, but, uh, I'll probably, I'll definitely make my way out to, uh, to Western North Carolina for grouse. Uh, there's, uh, there's quite a few spots that I want to hit. Uh, one of my favorite game lands, uh, it's not terribly far away, but it, it's definitely up in the Hills and I'm going to try and make a couple trips to, uh, to Virginia and, um, Eastern Tennessee. Gotcha. Well, we might have to link up together at some point this season and, and see what oh, we can find. Yeah. We'll, Absolutely. We'll, we'll have to make that happen. Maybe continue this conversation around a campfire at some point. And, uh, yeah, yeah well, Man, it, we could talk all day long, especially, you know, it feels like we, we barely scratched the surface on your main trip, but uh, we start kind of steering this ship into into a landing here. So I ask everybody on these profile episodes, two main questions, you know, what's, what's something that you've screwed up on with your dogs that you immediately learn from and, you know, other people can kind of find relatable? I. Uh... I think I kind of mentioned it before is that like, I am hard on myself and like, I'm a, I'm a little OCD and, uh, early on that kind of like transferred to my dog a little bit and, and worried about, you know, getting him to do what I want him to do. And, um, like my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, uh, JD said is like, you know, just, just be quiet, hunt the dog let them, let them figure it out. Cause eventually it is, it is gonna, it is gonna work out. And then, uh, uh, I probably, I'll be honest. And I probably relied a little bit heavily on the, um, on the e-collar, uh, try not to try not to do that, do that as much. And, uh, uh, do, do your research on the on the breeder the breed that you want i'm seeing way too many times especially in in the industry that i work in i see a lot of people getting these uh getting these gsps and stuff like that and they live in a you know a one bedroom apartment and it's like and they have you know hunting bloodlines it's like oh are you all gonna hunt with them like oh no he's just gonna be a house dog so yeah. <laughs> yep. No, it's just, trust me. It's a, it, it's a very common, common conversation. You know, I, I, I get a decent amount, not this time of year. It's more of a spring, early summer type of thing, but I, I'm, I'm always getting some emails or messages trickling in of, 
hey, I got this German short hair or I got this Vishla or something like that. And, and they're, they've eaten my car in half, you know, what, what is going on here? And somebody says they need an outlet. And, and we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times. It's like, you know, these dogs are not bred to sit on your couch. They're, they are bored both mentally and physically. And yeah, we don't, we don't have to go down that lecture. I think everybody listening to this might be familiar with it. If you're not, then by all means, you know, hit me yeah. up. I'll be, be glad to help. But I also think that, um, when you can, when you commit to your puppy, you know, uh, start some reading and kind of figure out, you know, what, what kind of training method do you want to, do you want to go with? I was very mixed all over the place, but at the end, um, you know, talking with, talking with Casey, talking with, uh, Michael Nadusky, uh, Grayson Carson is that they all kind of, they all kind of like followed that, uh, that Mo Lindley, uh, training method. Yeah. The, the and, West um, method, the steady the, the West, style. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the steady with style and uh, uh, get to that point beforehand. And like I said, all do- every single dog is different, but uh, I feel like you can pivot a lot easier um, with that method. Right. Yeah, I, n- I need to reach out to Mike. I wasn't I wasn't aware that that's how he trained his dog. I'd like to pick his brain on it because it, that is that is a good point. I mean, even even for somebody that's been doing it for a little while and has some experience, I've kind of found myself it's been difficult for me to decide on one given method because it's like I've sat in the classroom and talked to so many different people with such a wide array of training styles. It's almost like I'll go out and and I'll have a mission or a goal to accomplish with one of my dogs. And now it's, it's still trying to drink from a fire hose for myself because I'm sitting there and I, I kind of know the pros and cons and the merits to each type of method. And I can kind of talk myself into trying each different approach, but even myself, like you, you have to channel that to where like, okay, I'm going to follow it this way, uh, through the end. Right. And so just because that this is something that I think transcends, whether you're a beginner or an experienced person that if you like to read, you know, you really have to understand the why and and your individual goals and what the makeup of your individual specific dog, because each method, it, it, it has, they have their time and place. And I think that not enough people try and match the correct method up with the correct type of dog. And more or mm-hmm. less, you have the people like, I, I've, I've been, I'm training this way because I've been doing it this way for 30 years. And then they get that one dog that doesn't really fit their mold. And it's just like what they've been doing for 30 years no longer works with that dog or at least as well. And then they're back to, you know, starting over trying to figure out a new method. So it's uh that's something that I think anybody in this world can relate to, to some extent. Yeah, man, I mean, you, I mean, you personally, you have three very, very different breeds. Yeah, that I do. <laughs> yes, and, I do. <laughs> uh, and I can, I can only imagine. I, I told myself is that, uh, uh, I'm kind of in a toss up with, with my next dog, whether it's going to be, uh, an English pointer or, a or another setter, but there's, there's two breeders specifically that I would, that I would go through if I, uh, if I went with, uh, another setter. Yeah, man, it, it's that that was kind of by design. You know, I want, I want to learn, I want to become a better handler and trainer. I mean, not that, it, you know, I, I doubt I'll ever put my shingle out as a pro trainer, but you know, not, not ruling it out, never say never for anything. But I believe if you want to get good at things, you, you have to step out and get out of your comfort zone and try different things. And, uh, 
that's kind of why I've landed with three different breeds right now. And and I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy with each one of my dogs for different reasons, but the setter, man, it's just, it's really kind of hit home. Like I, I kind of, at the moment, if you ask me, I kind of found the breed that, that feels right to me. So how well that sticks, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, it's uh it is different in how you approach each type of dog and, and personality. And, and we, when we talk, when we talk about like, you know, setters being a little bit softer and a little bit warmer is that uh, a, I mean, I never like on my e-collar, like it's always either uh tone or vibrate. I mean, they, that that's what they respond to and they respond to it. Well, I don't need to crank up unless they, unless something dangerous is happening. Yeah. No, that this, the e-collar debate, man, or, or discussion, of course, there's uh that's an episode in of itself right yeah, there. It really is. Uh, the second question that I ask everybody on these profile episodes are, or what are some of your favorite episodes, guests, or topics that really helped you in some way, shape or form that really just stands out to you uh, since you've been listening to the podcast? I'm going to have to give you a few just because uh, I spend a lot of time in my vehicle. So all I do is pretty much listen to podcasts, throwing it back to, I want to say in the middle, in the, in the middle of COVID uh, Grayson's trainer language. Uh, That was, yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. Obviously Mo and Martha, um, those, those two episodes were great. Uh, Anything with Dell Whitman. I'm a big gearhead. I love classic shotguns. I love classic hunting rifles. That's a that's another side passion of mine that we could go down a deep rabbit hole with. Um, and then uh, one of the more recent episodes, the um, uh, the Kyle Warren episode, the two part episode. Oh, the one really, that really just enjoy- just came out, or the tracking and true dog from a couple years ago. The one that just came out. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then obviously I, I just got done listening to the Stephen Faust, the most recent Stephen Faust episode, which I, which I thoroughly enjoyed another, another North Carolina boy. Gotta, uh, <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta give them some pride and proud. Dude, I, I, I love connecting with the Southern guys. Cause they understand, you know, it's funny. I talked to all these guys up in the North and in a bird country and, and, you know, there are certain things to where, you know, they might travel through here, they might do a trial mm-hmm. or whatever, but they haven't really spent any time actually trying to hunt and uh, they just can't relate. They don't, they don't understand the, the struggles and and challenge of just getting your dogs on bird and so it does crack me up when you talk to somebody out west or up north how do you train your dog and they're like oh we'll just go get them on wild birds i'm like oh so i can't train them oh, down okay. here okay all right and we, uh, we, we, we we gotta work a lot harder down here <laughs> right you know it's yeah man it's i'm a firm believer in that wild birds is are, are much better than pigeons or, or pen raised quail. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you got to do what you got to do. Not everybody lives in bird yeah. country. And so anybody listening to this, that, you know, that's their go-to is just get on wild birds. It's like, yeah. well, it kind of depends on where they're at. You can't, you just can't color coat something like that. You can't paint we with that wide of a population. Brush. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it is unfortunate, but Man, Jordan, I feel like, you know, we've kind of gone a little bit longer than what the average profile is, but I feel like you and I could talk about this for quite some time. We might just have to link up for that hunt at some point and and kind of continue a conversation around a campfire or something. There's always Pisgah right down the road from me and probably not terribly far from you. Not too far, you know, a handful of hours, but I've, you know, I've embraced the, uh, the long drives before. (laughs) We, we, 
we've both done worse. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. Well, man, I appreciate it as always coming on and kind of sharing your story and, and kind of going down a bunch of different rabbit holes on this one. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, man, we'll, we'll definitely link up here soon. Thanks. To, thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.